we celebrate Christ's birth, specifically in December, the miracle of the incarnation of God's Son is a wonder, isn't it? I saw something that Nabil Karishi um, tweeted. I am on Twitter, but I follow just certain people, and he is one of them. He has an incredible testimony of coming over to this country in a devout Muslim family and through a, a believer on the debate team, I think it was maybe Virginia Commonwealth University where he was uh, in college, he met someone who actually knew the Bible that he couldn't twist up in knots as he did his little routine with believers that he would come across and got him to thinking, and they decided together they'd do a little discovery. And about a year later, it all came to a head that he had to do something about this story about Jesus that he could no longer refute. And he gave his life to Jesus. He wrote a book called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. Great book. But this is what he said, there are some mysteries that shut us out and there are some that invite us in. The Trinity invites in to discover and know our God. Now why, is, why would he say the Trinity and not specifically the incarnation? <clears throat> the mystery of the incarnation. There is a connection. If you think about it. And this is, this is the problem that Muslims have with Christianity. This is one of the major problems they have with Christianity. That if Jesus is God, as well as the Father in heaven, then we have two gods and not one. So the mystery of the Trinity incorporates Father, Son, Holy Spirit. One God expressed in three persons. That cannot be processed in their, their line of reasoning. So therefore, their big issue with Jesus being deity is, is strained, and that's why they try their best to say he's a prophet, but he's not deity. He's a good prophet, not deity. And so here's a, here's a man that's come out of that mindset saying the Trinity provides a mystery for us to, that invites us to come in and discover and know God. Um, there's another birth, there's another conception uh, in Luke, though not as spectacular as a virgin, Conceiving by the power of God, it still was miraculous that two old people, way past their years of becoming parents, have a child. Conceive really miraculously a little baby, a little boy. And that baby was to be named... John. Now, 
I want to show you a clip here in just a moment from uh, the Nativity story. And uh, way, way back when I was doing some drama, I had in my mind, have we ever captured the strain of Mary getting pregnant before she got married in a culture so, so much taboo with that? And what difficulty it put her in, her fiancé in, both sides of the family, because this was arranged marriage. And uh, the nativity story, I thought, when I saw it, in fact, I told Brenda, I said, we're going to, we're going to the theater and see it on the big screen. And I bought a copy of it. But this opening scene, to me, is priceless. So I want you to watch it. This honor is for you, Zacharias, and your village. Shift ye the bed, Adoshem. Lachasot banoam, Adoshem. Ulbaker behe, holo. play again if you don't stop it. So. <laughs> um, isn't that a great scene? Now, I don't know if that was a good depiction of the angel Gabriel. I don't think it was uh, kind of like 
smoke, but uh, it was Gabriel that, there's a lot more to that dialogue that, than they shared right there. Um, and you'll find this in verse 13. We're going to look at Luke 1. Zechariah was, uh, he and Elizabeth were well up in age. He was a priest. His uh, division of the priesthood was assigned that week. And his duty was to put incense on the altar of incense. And this is when the angel Gabriel appeared to him while he's doing that. And so there's a lot more to that dialogue. In, in verse 13, the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you. Many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now that was a lot, wasn't it? It was after that that he says, but we're old. We're old people here. <laughs> um, I, I don't think, I don't think he probably focused on any of that dialogue as much as he focused on that. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. I think that statement just kind of like numbed him because he didn't ask the Lord anything about this other stuff. That he, what about the power you? He will go in the power of Elijah. He will bring people back to the Lord. You know, th those things should have captivated him some, but I think that one little statement there, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. Gabriel described the situation when this baby would arrive. And I don't think, Zachariah must have heard much of that. First of all, he told him not to be afraid. But then he said that this baby is going to bring joy and delight to you and your wife. Track with it a little bit. It says, not only that, but there'll be a lot of people happy about his birth. Isn't that what it said? You're going to have a community. Now, there is a village that they... Just, right, just walking distance from Jerusalem that supposedly was the village that John was born in. And there's a cave there, you can research this, that supposedly is connected with John the Baptist after he grew into adulthood. But most, most historians believe that that's the little town that Zechariah and Elizabeth lived in. And can you think, can you think if you're in a little town... Everybody knows everything about everybody. That's like, I, we grew up in Harpersville. <laughs> and I think we found out about 
anybody that got pregnant in Harpersville. Especially if it was a pregnancy that uh, wasn't fitting the norms. That really spread. So think about this old couple that had not had a child, and they're now like grandparent age, and she gets pregnant. There'd, there'd be a lot of people happy about that. You know, my mom had six of us. Five of us were like three years apart. And the last one was about eight years later. And the first one had already gotten married and had a, a little baby boy in California. And a couple of months after Brenda got mother, her first grandson, grandbaby, mother got pregnant with Becky. So grandma's pregnant. And just shortly after, not many, because uh, Brenda's first two children are only 12 months apart. So shortly after mother got pregnant with Becky, Brenda got pregnant with her second child, so they were pregnant at the same time. And I don't know what it was, but it embarrassed the daylights out of mother when people found out she was pregnant. <laughs> Talk about a surprise. It was a surprise. But think about a little village where having a child was... If we think that's a joy now, you, you just have to step into their culture because there's, there's no social security. There's no apparatus to really help people in their older age. But their children were a guarantee that someone would look after them when they got feeble. And they're getting there. They're not far from that. And they're not thinking about, well... We've missed our moment. And that's why it says, many will rejoice at his birth. Listen to other things that Gabriel said about John. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. Little bitty village outside of Jerusalem. But your baby, this baby that's going to happen late in your life, is going to be great in the sight of the Lord. But you're to make sure he never takes any kind of fermented drink whatsoever. It's kind of like mixed into this is like a Nazarite vow. And not cutting the hair was another thing, but I, I could picture John like that. <laughs> hair down to here, rough clothes, and a booming voice, and staunch in his convictions, straight as an arrow. He'll be strict in his convictions. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit of God even from birth. This is Gabriel's prophecy over this baby that is still futuristic. Still, it's going to happen in the days ahead. But this is, this is all a futuristic foretelling. And said, so this baby, even from birth, will have the Spirit of God upon him. He'll also be a, a one that calls people back to their faith. And boy, does he ever do that. Remember, in baptism that he was doing was not a baptism of salvation. It was a what? It's a baptism of repentance. There was no, there was not a conversion experience. It was all about faith, and it was about walking your life out by faith. You're justified by faith, not the works of the flesh, not how good you are, 
but by your faith in the Lord. And he, he, was, he was successful. He had crowds. He had people coming, and they were submitting, and they were getting back to their faith. This is what Gabriel prophesied. You'll bring, he'll bring many Israelites back to the Lord. And not only that, this is where it gets really interesting. He says he will come in the power of Elijah. This connects him to some really messianic prophecies in the Old Testament. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. He will have an effect on families when he preaches. His message and his ministry will begin to mend families who are at odds, to bring the disobedient back to a place of righteousness, and he says to make a people prepared for the Lord. And I don't think Zachariah heard all that. All he heard was Elizabeth's going to have a baby. And he said, we're old. We're old. You don't know how old we are. And Gabriel gets a little radical with him, doesn't he? Well, because you didn't believe, you will be in silence. Boom, he could not speak because of his disbelief. Now, if you follow this down, we're going to pick this back up around in verse 57. I'm skipping a large segment here for a reason. But if you follow this down, it says that after he got through with his rotation and and the division that he was in, after they finished up their time that they were assigned to do the ministry of of the temple, he goes home and it says Elizabeth gets pregnant. And you can follow this with me. I'm just, I'm going to summarize You get a little bit of a perspective from Elizabeth in verses 24 and 25 when her reaction to being pregnant is is interesting. She she goes into seclusion for five months. She, She just pulls back away from everybody for five months. But she says something like this. She says, this is something the Lord has done She knows that this is nothing short of the work of God. And she knows that the Lord has brought favor upon her, but don't miss the statement where she says, and he has taken away, what does it say, the disgrace, the reproach, the shame? She was carrying the stigma of being barren. Because having children was, was everything. It's not like our culture today that some people, some couples get married and they don't, they don't want to have any children. You know, I wanted a bunch of them, but I didn't carry them. So the, the one who carried them says, this is, this is it. I hope you enjoy too. This is it. I said, okay. But she was carrying this shame and she was now, why, why did she go into seclusion for a, Five months. Now, we don't know that. We can just speculate. But I think maybe she had a mixture of emotions of um, she's excited, but maybe a little embarrassed. That in this point in her life, she would conceive a child. And so she went into seclusion for five months. Now, right after that, you have a section, and I'm skipping over, about Mary. And in Elizabeth's sixth month of being pregnant, I mean, she's getting 
pretty far along, isn't she? Um, the angel Gabriel visits Mary in Nazareth, and he he gets her attention and as she's going to bring into life, she's going to give birth to the Messiah. And as soon as she gets that message, this is all be the power of God. This is a, the power of God is going to do this over her. She's going to conceive supernaturally the Son of God. And she heads, and, and the angel tells her, and your, your, your um, cousin Elizabeth is in her sixth month of being pregnant. Is there anything too hard for God? Isn't that neat that Gabriel says, let me just tell you what's going on here. It's not just about you, but God's doing some other neat things. And Elizabeth, in her old age, is pregnant. And so it's almost immediately Mary goes and stays with Elizabeth for three months. About the time that, and I believe she probably leaves before because the way, the, right before we get to verse 57, that, you know, it comes time for Elizabeth to be, deliver this baby, Mary's headed back home three months pregnant. And that's when everything kind of comes to head with Joseph. And uh, it was not a good thing. But, but it all worked out, didn't it? I want you to look in verse 57. And when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. There's... One fulfillment of that prophecy, isn't it? Her neighbors, relatives were all excited. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the baby. And they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. Some interesting things are going on here. They, the relatives and family, were going to help them name their baby because that was a custom that babies would carry the names of their parents. Somehow connected, you know, you, you look at how children are named. Some of them carry their mother's maiden name. Abigail Yeldale has Lynn and L-E-N-N. That's her middle name. Joshua has Garrett, which is Sean's mother's maiden name. So you have, you have people that have these kind of like connections. They want to stay connected to family names. And so they, they fully expected that the baby would have some kind of name associated with Zachariah. And they were pressing this. They were pressing the issue. He's like, well, those, kind of, those people are kind of overbearing, aren't they? <laughs> but that was the culture then. It was a custom. And sometimes customs can be pretty rigid. So they, was, they were practically insisting that he would be named a certain name. But it was Elizabeth that spoke up in verse 60 and said, No, he is to be called John. And you think that would stop their effort, but it wasn't quite, they didn't quite throw in the towel here. They said, well, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. 
Humans are kind of pushy people, aren't they? Well, John, who in your family? Oh, we can't think of anybody in your family that has that name. And so they made signs to Zechariah and to find out what he would like to name the child, and he asked for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, what did he write? Interesting the way he worded that, isn't it? He's already got a name. Elizabeth said he is to be called John. Zachariah says he already has a name. His name is John. Everybody was astonished at that. His name is John. Immediately, Zachariah's mute condition is released. And he opened his tongue, was loose, and he began to speak, praising God. The neighbors were all filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. Zechariah was facing a custom. I mean, the angel Gabriel says, this little baby that the Lord is going to give you, you name him John. That's it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, John Baptist. We're going to drop down and finish verse 68 here in just a moment. But the eruption of praise flows out of Zechariah. He's filled with the Spirit. I think verse 67, it talks about the Spirit of the Lord just consumes Zechariah. And boy, here now there, there's praise and all that from Elizabeth. And Mary, earlier associated with Mary's visit, I'm skipping over that for a reason. I want to focus on what Zechariah said in verse 68. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. Do you, do you see a little bit of a different Zechariah now? I think probably he wondered over those nine months Man, this not being able to talk is, is <laughs> I should have believed. You know, the, it was an angel that was telling me this. <laughs> but I think probably he couldn't wait for the arrival of that son. This is a son. And for fathers, you couldn't beat that. Your firstborn being a son. Carrying on the family name. So he says, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. Wow, this is, your baby's arrived and he's already saying, it's already at work. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And as he said through the holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham. This is all generated by the Holy Spirit's anointing on Zechariah. To rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. 
And you, my child, he's, he's speaking to this eight-day-old baby. And you, my child, my son, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And verse 80 is a conclusion. And the child, John, grew and became strong in spirit and he lived in the desert until he appeared publicly to Israel. The oddity of these two conceptions. A couple in their old age, past childbearing time, miraculously has a child who becomes the prophet of the Lord in the spirit of Elijah to be the voice in the wilderness saying, prepare the way of the one coming behind me. Just six months apart in age. And here's this baby from an older couple. North of there in the Galilean hills in a little town of Nazareth, there's a probably a young teenage virgin, probably still in her teens, that miraculously conceives the Son of God. Two different opposites. We know Joseph is not around when Jesus begins his ministry. He is around when he's 12. And when they go to the temple, they go to the temple every year for the festivals. But somewhere in there, Joseph probably is deceived. But you think about John the Baptist arriving with Aging parents, they probably never got to see him do any ministry. It just says here that John goes into seclusion. <laughs> he lives out in the desert, and he stays out there until the Lord has him ready to start preaching and being the prophet of the Lord to call people to repentance. Now, this is just, I don't know this for sure, but this is just my surmisings on it. Where is Jesus in the early part of his life? He's with his family and before Nazareth. He's in Egypt. And Sunday, we're going to talk about that a little bit, about his early years. But he heads off to Egypt, and he's there. When he comes back, they're going to they're settle in Bethlehem, but they find out that the successor to Herod is not trustworthy either, so they're warned not to come to Jerusalem, but to head north. So if an aging priestly couple raising a little boy in a small village, somewhere in that child's growth, he, his parents are deceased. And we're just given this little window, this little summary that he went out into a desert place and stayed there 
until it was time for him to publicly come out as a preacher. Now, what can you conclude by that statement? He and Jesus were related. But what's the likelihood that they spent any time together? Probably hardly at all did they interact. He stayed out. And he was not, he was not one to hang around in town. He was not one to preach in Jerusalem. He was, he was the alternative to Jesus. Even Jesus pointed that out. So John the Baptist, he, he didn't associate with anybody that was questionable. And Jesus said, you know, you, you have John the Baptist and, and he doesn't hang around anyone that's questionable and you say that he's demon-possessed. In other words, I think that guy's a fanatic. He's a holiness fanatic. And he preaches against sin. And, and Jesus comes along and he said, I'm, I'm with these people trying to help them and you're calling me a friend of sinners and a drunkard. He says, John comes with a straight-laced message and you criticize him. I come with a message of grace and mercy and forgiveness, and you criticize me. So you don't like either one of us. But see how different they are. And yet when Jesus got word of John's beheading, it grieved him. And people ask about him. And you remember that famous description that Jesus gives of John. There's not anyone born of women greater than John. Except what's coming. What's coming, the kingdom that is coming. The kingdom that John is, John is an interesting person. He's in the middle of the old and new covenants. He's, he's the bridge He's an Old Testament prophet, but he's, he's so close to the new that he's, he's touching it. And Jesus said, as great as he is as an Old Testament prophet, the least in the coming kingdom is greater than him. And what John is coming to prepare, and John knew exactly what his role was. His role was not to be prominent. His role was to point people to Jesus. I must, you know, when his disciples comes along and says, you know what? Our crowds are getting smaller and Jesus' crowds are getting larger. He said, I must decrease that he may increase. So this is all for our purpose. I'm just here to draw attention to him. And yet, two births, both miraculous, both supernatural. And Sunday we'll take a closer look at the birth of Jesus. I preached a, a lot of Sundays before Christmas, different messages, but I'm eager to share a message about the miraculous birth of Jesus. Sure.
jumped. Right. But when you saw him coming, the Holy Spirit was moving because you saw the light. Right. And so maybe in that moment he knew both that's the Messiah and that's the Christ. Because <laughs> my mama told me about it. I mean, you have to. I just can't help but ask the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter what it is. Well, yeah. I, Here's the thing. Um, everybody talked about this. The birth of this child. And the uniqueness of it. And everything going on with the, the father being mute until circumcision day. And then he goes off and this praise. So everybody's like, what in the world's going on here? I think you get that from the... says, what kind of child is this going to be? Or how long did that wonder last? Because we tend to get over stuff. When life gets back to normal, and he's a typical two-year-old and a three-year-old and a four-year-old, probably less and less is being talked about his arrival. It starts, and even, there's something unique. I'm, I don't, I don't want to give too much away for Sunday morning. But more than once it said, that, and Mary kept these things in her Heart. I think other people were forgetting that explosion of praise in the shepherd's field. And by the way, outside of Bethlehem, there's a field there called the shepherd's field. And, and the shepherds went around telling everybody, you know, this is what happened. This, this army of angels showed up and, and everybody's talking. Well, he's wished off to Egypt for probably several years. And so I think the wonder dies down. And I think even if, if he lived long enough for her to, to kind of tell him or other people in the families tell him, you know, your parents conceived you late in life. It was a miracle. But maybe he didn't have a lot of that story. But he, he did say that God spoke to him and says, when you see the, the, the dove landing, that's the one. And so it, I don't think probably he would just recognize him by face. So, uh, but here, here's these two people so connected and their parents are connected. And I wonder how much Mary kept up with John because she knew that, you know, God had done this for her cousin Elizabeth. So. But there's, there's just a lot of wonder to it. But John's conception was necessary his role was absolutely necessary it was prophetic even though he, 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 he was naturally conceived but it was miraculous because they were past that time where their fertility was gone and God supernaturally gave him this baby but his role was going to be prophetic he, he he would be the, the strategic person between Elijah and the prophets of old and the introduction of Messiah. And that's why the power of God rested on him. 
and his preaching was powerful. Yes. Well, you know, and, and as we wrap it up, wrap this up, there's other places to where you get the feel that when he began his ministry, there was people that thought that the power of his ministry, they were asking him directly, are you Messiah? So it, it wasn't just maybe back then. His preaching was so powerful. People said, are you the Messiah? He says, no, I'm not the Messiah. You know, and, and there was this consideration. And when Jesus asked the disciples what people were saying about him, one of the things that they said was that, that John, you're, John's been raised from the dead, you know, and you're, you're, you're John coming back. You know, so that, 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 is, that tells you the magnitude by which John had the influence in Israel. And he was so, he created such disturbance that uh, he, he pushed Herod over the edge. You know, that he was, he was a pain in Herod's side, pain in that family. He was, he was the prophet who, who said it just like it is, no filter. This is, the, you know, you've got your brother's wife, and that's wrong. Well, the, the unction of the Holy Spirit was on him, but I would think he was a normal little guy. Well, let's stand together.